This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, it's good to be home. It's good to be back after a two-week gap. I should say it's the longest I've been without hope for nine years. And uh, you don't want to live without hope, do you? But it was, it was good to be on the receiving end and just watch the, the online sermons and catch up with the podcast uh, so that I didn't miss out. So thank you, uh, Sue and Richard, for uh, the last couple of weeks. Now, it's, it is such a blessing to be part of a church where there's just so much, not only talent, but willing talent. People just roll their sleeves up and get involved, whether that's the musicians, the preachers, the home group leaders, the hospitality team, the Alpha team, the trustees, the list just goes on. We're so uh, blessed to be uh, part of this family. Now, I've been on some adventures the last uh, couple of weeks. I watched my first ever basketball game. No, baseball game. That's so confusing, yeah. It's like cricket in a circle. So, yeah, so I watched the Chicago Cubs um, play baseball while eating hot dogs. I was eating the hot dogs. They were playing baseball. The, the two don't go together. Um, I then went exploring some Mayan ruins in the jungles of uh, Belize, which was amazing. Full Indiana, Indiana Jones mode all the way through. Um, I'm not sure whether that's actually rain on my glasses or tears of joy, because with the, with the benefit of hindsight, we'd have actually managed to climb that ziggurat uh, with, with COVID. If I'd been wearing my Apple Watch, it would have been phoning for an ambulance by the time I got to the top. But we made it. I'll tell you a little bit more about those trips uh, later on. But for now, we're going to turn to the scripture, continuing um, the theme from last week, actually, about what does it mean to trust God? What does it mean to trust God to provide for you rather than trying to hoard all your stuff and provide for yourself? Uh, And actually, in in some little way, my, my adventures over the last couple of weeks have been a testimony just to that in a very simple way. You know, what a, what a blessing to go and visit America and Chicago and Belize, all these things, and someone else picked up all the bills. So it's, it's a blessing to be your own sermon illustration um, once in a while, which is good. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, open your apps, flick to the page, and we're starting at verse 22. And he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider consider the ravens. They neither sow nor weep, or reap rather. They have neither storehouses nor barns, yet God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? So which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that... See, remember, Jesus is talking from his perspective as God. So for him, adding an hour to your life is just a small thing. 
right? If you can't even do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about all the rest? I mean, consider the lilies, consider the flowers, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, if he so clothes the grasses, which is alive today in the field, and tomorrow it's thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world, they seek after these things, and your father, your father knows that you need them. So instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. So fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the passage this week is, it comes at a bit of a scene change. Yeah? Last week, Richard, he unpacked the, the parable of the rich fool which Jesus shared with the whole crowd in response to someone calling on Jesus to settle his uh, inheritance dispute. But now the focus shifts as Jesus turns his attention to his disciples, no longer talking to the whole crowd, but now talking just to his disciples. And he digs a little deeper. He's teaching them and he's showing them and so showing us what it means to be a Jesus follower. What does it mean to be a Jesus disciple? How should you think? How should you view the world? What are the attitudes and priorities that should mark us out as being different from the rest of the world? Now, in 1943, a chap called Abraham Maslow, he published a paper on human motivation and he included in it something he described as his hierarchy of needs. If you ever study psychology, something that you'll have to write essays on, I'm sure. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs was a model of what he thought people needed in order to be happy. What are the things that people strive for, chase after, in order to be happy human beings, almost at an instinctive level, without thinking about what you're thinking about? What do you chase after? And it's often described um, as a kind of like a pyramid like this. And we'll be referring to this several times through the, through the sermon. But let me just quickly... Uh, explain what it means because maybe you don't have binoculars with you. So at the bottom, the two layers are, are talking about the basic human needs. So first of all, you've got your need for food, for water, for warmth, for rest, for a roof over your head. Kind of the very basics. Things that if you don't have them, that's all that consumes your attention, trying to get hold of food, water, somewhere to sleep. Assume you've got food and water, then the next level up is called safety needs. In other words, okay, well, how do I make sure I'm going to have food and water tomorrow? Okay, so you start kind of worrying about your security tomorrow rather than your immediate needs today. Assume you've got those kinds of things sorted, okay, then the model moves on to talk about psychological needs. So have friendships, have relationships, you know, you, you, you've... You've got food for today, you've got food for tomorrow, and now you start thinking about, well, I want someone to share it with. 
right? I want to have relationships. And once you've got those relationships, you then want to start feeling good about yourself. So the next love is called esteem, the sense of prestige. Do people recognize how clever you are for the fact that you've now got food and water and someone to share it with? And finally get to the top of the pyramid, which is called self-fulfillment. And it's here that once all their other needs are met, people then go in search of spiritual enlightenment and a sense of fulfillment, a sense of purpose. So this, this was Maslow's model for human psychology. Okay, and it's widely uh, taught, widely understood. And Jesus refers to it in today's passage in an upside-down kind of a way. You see, Maslow's pyramid of human needs is the way, by default, many human beings see the world when they don't include God in their thinking and their worldview. And Maslow's model is the default mindset of human beings. Today, it shapes social policy. It defines our politics. It influences economic planning. It is a pervasive worldview. And Jesus says in today's little aside to his disciples, yeah, that's completely wrong. So if you want to understand what it is at the root of our society that is so wrong, that is causing the world to, pardon my French, go to hell in a handcart, why are people spending all their time chasing after things that do not make them happy? It's because they believe this lie of how the world and the human condition works. Let me show you how. So, according to Maslow's model, by default, people worry first and foremost about that bottom layer. Have I got food? Have I got clothing? Have I got a place to sleep? But Jesus says, verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat, nor about your body, the clothes that you'll be putting on it. Jesus is saying, do not be preoccupied first and foremost with providing for your basic needs because you should be trusting God to provide those things for you, right? Give us this day our daily bread. It's the way Jesus taught us how to pray. And, and just make sure, as, as Richard said last week, don't go around stealing other people's sandwiches. I mean, that is an unusual turn of phrase. I've heard of not stealing someone else's thunder, but never don't go around stealing other people's sandwiches. Is that an army phrase? Probably. Yeah. Well, so anyway, give us this day our daily sandwiches and don't let Richard steal them. That's how Jesus taught people to pray. So if we kind of move up the model again, um, the world says, okay, well, now I've got food and water, now I need um, security. Yeah. Now I'm starting to worry about, well, am I going to have clothes for tomorrow? Am I going to have food for tomorrow? Am I going to have financial security? Am I going to have enough for today and for tomorrow? So what do we do? The world teaches us we need to save, we need to plan, we need to hoard what we have to make sure that tomorrow we can meet our needs. Are you recognising this way the world teaches us how to think? But what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, hoard all your stuff because you might need something tomorrow. Jesus says, verse 33, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that 
do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief can approach it, no moth can destroy it. See, the world says, you've got to save for tomorrow. You've got to invest in some shares. You've got to buy some antiques that are going to gain in value. You've got to invest in some Bitcoin. You've got to save for tomorrow. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Sell that stuff and give the money to the people who need it today. See the contrast. And moving back on up, up the model, we've got the, the kind of the psychological need in the middle. Yeah, Maslow says, or the world says, your family, your friends, that sense of belonging, that sense of fitting in, they're all so important. That's where kind of peer pressure comes from and, and that kind of group thinking. It, it could pull us in directions that are actually not healthy. What does Jesus say via the Apostle Paul? Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the world. Don't fit in with everyone else just so that you feel part of the crowd but allow yourself to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then by testing, you can discern what is the will of God. And in Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. In other words, Jesus says, don't follow the crowd. Don't follow popular opinion. Don't worry about fitting in. Back to the pyramid of lies. Yeah, once you've got the basics filled, says the world, I've got food, I've got water, I've got savings for tomorrow, I've got some relationships. Next comes esteem, the blue layer. The desire for a sense of <coughs> prestige, an accomplishment. The world says, you need to be recognised for how clever you are. Get those exam results from school and put them in a frame upon the wall. Work hard. Make sure your peers at work acknowledge how clever you are. Get those articles published in a trade journal. Hang those certificates on the wall. Accept those prizes at prize giving day because the world says this will define how worthy you are. Jesus says, don't seek to be served. Seek to serve others. Luke 9.48, he says, whoever is least among you, that's the one who is great. In Matthew 20, 16, Jesus says, but the last will be first, and the first will be last. You see, receiving all of the accolades that the world has to offer will never give you as much joy and satisfaction as giving another human being the thing that they need. And finally, we get to the, the top of the, the pyramid of lies, my new name for it, I like it. We get to the top of the Pyramid of Lies and what Maslow and the world would describe as the pinnacle, as the end of human development. We strive for self-actualization, enlightenment, a connection with the divine. So once all of your physical needs have been met, after all your psychological needs have been met, then, then give some attention to your soul, says the world. But Jesus says, Matthew 6:33. No, no, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. Not seek last. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. You see, we might be tempted to think that Jesus takes the world's wisdom and then he turns it upside down. But of course, that's a misreading of history. Because when the world was first created, Adam and Eve lived in the garden 
of Eden with God and their relationship with God was the first and foremost thing. That was all that mattered and everything else just sorted itself out. The line of the lamb came along. You know, like a sandwich. Don't let Richard see. And then sin enters the story, bringing with it resentment and rebellion and murder and mankind rejects God's order and goes their own way, building towers at Babel to demonstrate their cleverness and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus says, this is not how you are designed to live and flourish. Focus first on God and all these other things will sort themselves out in good time. And I've been been looking forward to sharing this message with you since I saw it on the plan because it is one of my favourite passages in all of Scripture. And I think for me it's one of those kind of foundational Scriptures that has just shaped my walk with the Lord for, for, for many, many years. Now, at, at some level, it could be said that the preacher's favourite passage is always the passage they're preaching on that week. But for me, this really is one of my all-time favourites. But normally I come to it from the parallel passage that you'll find in Matthew's Gospel, not today's passage in Luke. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says pretty much the same stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. So if this teaching is so important that Jesus says it twice, we probably ought to pay attention. He said it once to the crowd on the mount and once again in a separate aside just to his disciples. Now some commentators have suggested that actually Jesus only said it once and what happened is that Matthew edited edited together lots of different occasions where Jesus talked to make the Sermon on the Mount. But as I was rereading these passages this week, I was actually struck by some pretty fundamental differences between the two of them. So I actually think this is two separate occasions where Jesus said very similar things to make very different points. Because he was teaching different people different truths through words that happen to sound the same at first reading. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' teaching, his kind of core message is, We should not worry because God will take care of us. He'll provide for us the food and the clothing and the home that we need. In Matthew, Jesus is teaching, do not worry about what you don't have because God will provide what you need. Give us this day our daily bread. And, you know, Lydia and I know this to be be true. You know, there has been moments over the last five years or so when literally we didn't have any money to buy groceries that week and someone turns up with an envelope full of cash to buy some food. So do not worry about what you don't have because God will provide what you need. And in reality, that normally means someone else in the body of Christ responding to that nudge of the Holy Spirit, those holy elbows of God. Because so often, so often we are the answer to each other's prayers. And the better we get at hearing that little nudge from the Lord and responding to it, the more the body will grow. So that was the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is saying, do not worry about those things that you don't have. But in today's passage, in Luke, where Jesus takes his disciples to one side, he teaches them something different. Because when you read the passage in context, if it's following on immediately from what Richard was talking about last week, the parable of the man who built his big barns but didn't live long enough to enjoy them, and the two brothers arguing about their inheritance. Yet all those people had 
plenty already. They already had their barns. They already had their inheritance. They're just squabbling about how they're going to split it up. So Jesus is addressing a different kind of worry to his disciples. He's, he's addressing the worry that you might lose the stuff you've already got. You see the difference? Yeah? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is warning the crowd not to worry about the stuff that they don't have. But in today's passage, Jesus is warning his disciples not to worry about losing the stuff they've already got in their hands. See the difference? And Jesus is warning his disciples, he's warning his disciples and he's warning us not to allow material things and creature comforts to become so important to us that we're not getting anxious about losing them. You know, we hold on to them too tightly. The teaching actually started in Richard's sermon last week when you had those two brothers in the crowd asking Jesus to solve an argument about their inheritance. And Jesus circles back to that and completes the thought at the end of today's passage when he says in verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, your inheritance. So sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves in money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, our inheritance, our inheritance is the kingdom of God. And our Father is pleased to give it to us. So since we have this great inheritance in the kingdom of God, we mustn't fall into the trap of being so too focused and attached to the inheritance that we have here upon the earth. You see the contrast that Jesus was making. Because the heart of all Jesus is saying is found in this final verse. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So what counts at the end of the day is not the condition of your person, of your purse, or the condition of your bank account, or the state of your pension funds. What counts is the condition of your heart. If your treasures are found on the earth, then your heart will be ultimately set on things on the earth. But if you consider that your true treasure is in heaven, and then your heart will be set on things in heaven, and you will be, as Richard said last week, rich towards God. And I saw some things over the last couple of weeks which really made me kind of think a bit about these ideas. To start with, when I was in Chicago, I went to Willow Creek Church. Have you heard of Willow Creek Church? Hands up, heard of Willow Creek Church? And it was the first time I'd ever been there, and I was there to attend the Global Leadership Summit. And I hadn't really thought about what the physical building would be like. But I think kind of in the back of my mind, I assumed it would be like some kind of giant converted warehouse, or like a, like a big cinema screen, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it wasn't quite like that. So actually, I took a short video out of the window of the bus that was shuttling us from the hotel uh, to Willow each morning. And ju just take a look at it here on the screen. So that's kind of the sign as you turn off the motorway. There's a motorway entrance to take you into this. Right. So you, you turn down, and this is the, this is the driveway. The, it takes five minutes to go down the driveway to get to, to get to Willow. And if you just see through the trees... See that big building there? That's 
Yeah, that's the east wing. That's a bit. That's a bit of willow. They're over the, over the lakes, and the, the bus goes down a little bit more around the driveway. I mean, it's like trying to go into Disneyland, you know? You just go down this long driveway. You can see all these things poking through the trees. You can see a bit more of the, the building there on, on the right, and you can see there's a couple of different couple of different wings. We'll get around and we'll see a bit more in a second. Now, all of this was just fields when they, when, they, when they bought it to plant the church. So here's... If we come out to this building here, and yeah, that's not where we're going. That's just you know, some, some offices or, or something, some classrooms. So we're going a bit further, and, and yeah, no, that's not where we're going either. That's, that's just where they do some youth stuff sometimes on a Sunday. So we're going a bit further. We're going a bit further. I mean, I mean some people go to universities that are smaller than this place. And, and yeah, that's not the building we're going to either. We're going a bit further. We're going a bit further. That's just, that's just some of the many classrooms. I mean, this thing is... Huge. And as I was kind of sat on the bus, my nose pressed up against the window, I did have some kind of mixed feelings, if I'm honest. I think it was almost certainly 99% pastor envy and building jealousy. <laughs> um, but one thing that God really did say to me quite clearly as I sat there, with my nose pressed up against the window, God said... He said, I am pleased to bless people that I can trust with my kingdom. You know, and I think for all the criticism that's been directed at, at Willow and other large churches over the years, it occurred to me that often that criticism comes from people that God has not trusted with his kingdom resources. So Salah, and ponder that as King David would say. But there was a real contrast then the following week when I went to uh, Belize on a business trip. I was running some training down there. And the street next door to the office where I was working was, I mean, there was people living in wooden shacks. I mean, it was like some of the photos you might have seen of the favelas in Brazil and, and places like that. It, literally buildings falling down, people standing on street corners, clearly emaciated, not uh, eating well. Now, Belize is a country that has the same area as Wales. Okay, so that's the size of the, of, the, of the country. But its population is only a tenth of that of Wales. So about the same uh, population as the city of Coventry. So there's not really enough people to generate the economic activity to sustain a country of that size, if that makes sense. And as we drove to, through lots of rural areas, uh, I had to travel to another part of the country that was about two hours away by minibus that didn't have any air conditioning and it was 31 degrees and very humid um, but most of the, the schools that we went past were clearly all run by missionary organisations that's kind of where all the education is coming from in the country and again I was reminded you know we are stewards of all that God has given us what is the good that we're doing with what God has given us to use like, go, back, go back a week so uh, when I was in Chicago, so all the, the church leaders who were there at the Global Leadership Summit were invited round for, for dinner at one of the homes of one of the, the senior lead, leaders there at Willow. And actually, one of the, the people who turned up to, to join in the, the dinner was Tom DeVries. He's the, the president of the Global Leadership Summit internationally. And we were you know, chatting about all kinds of, of stuff. There's a very interesting 
conversations I'll share with you another time. But one of the things that, one of the topics that came up was about you, you just do what you can do. In the situation you're in, with the resources that God has given you, you do what you can do to further the kingdom. Um, and I mentioned briefly that we had this program called Good News Shoes. We, we buy school shoes for children that otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't have some because their, their, their family's economically challenged. And Tom DeRee said, yeah, we do something similar at, at Willow. We kind of run holiday Bible clubs and, and stuff like that, as you might imagine. Um, and they've got this, this huge church funded by very generous donations from a lot of the rich Christians who kind of live on the outskirts of Chicago and, and you know, make money in the big city. But they also have lots of poor neighborhoods around them as well. And what they realize is that during the school holidays... There's a lot of children that were suffering from food poverty because they weren't getting their free school meals because they weren't at school. Yeah, we've, we've had similar conversations here in the UK. But because they have this kind of homogeneous environment, so they've got some kind of very rich kids from rich neighbourhoods and very poor kids, very poor neighbourhoods, they're like, well, we don't want to create stigma or us and them and stuff. So they came up with this idea that every week they'd give the kids a backpack of stuff to take home. And the rich kids would get a, a magazine and some crayons. The poor kids found that their backpack was full of food. And they kind of took it home. And they were giving out 2,000 backpacks of food to poor, to poor families every week during the school summer holidays. And my point is, God said it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom and all the resources of that kingdom to use for his kingdom's purposes, which is primarily to show God's love to people who need to receive it. To answer the prayers of those people who are trusting God to provide those things at the bottom of the pyramid of lies. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure, your good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, when no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that the purpose of today's passage is to show us that the world's view of what matters is totally upside down and inside out compared to God's view of what matters to human beings. And since God designed human beings, I reckon his model is probably right compared to Mr. Maslow. But the promise is that God will provide. He'll prov he will provide us with that stuff that we need. But we need to focus on the things that are actually more important, the kingdom of God and not the world's pleasures. So the challenge for us this morning is simply to answer the question, where is my treasure this morning? Where is my heart? Up or down? Are there things that we have been holding on to too tightly? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know what we need. Help us to always remember that truth and to rely on you more and rely less on ourselves. Help us more quickly to recognize those times when you have blessed us with being the answer to someone else's prayer. 
And may we move swiftly to share what you have given us and pass it on. May we hold ever more tightly to you and ever more loosely to the treasures of this world. This is our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now to him who is able to do abundantly more than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. It's great to be home. See you again next week.